Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Capital Market Series from the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Um, Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. Um, commodities and resources right now uh, seem to be a scarce uh, asset. And yeah. um, there's a lot of movement globally happening in the world right now. Um, I mean, you're looking even like freight, freight costs have gone up through the roof. Um, but I think these sort of inflationary dynamics of all these resources globally is most likely going to continue. I don't know what, what you're, what, what are you seeing out there, Nick? Well, yeah, I mean, you can't, um, it's very hard to deny the long-term impact of what's coming, especially in the commodity sector. I mean, you see worldwide governments, regardless of what's happening in the market in terms of price mechanism in the short term, you could see in terms of a trend, governments and institutions worldwide willing to dedicate billions and trillions of dollars into electrical grids, infrastructure, um, into building, into solar panels, into electrification, you name it. And all these things ripple down to base input commodities. Without that, all these big goals and dreams that everybody has around the world is utterly useless. So, you know, it's kind of why we play this kind of contrarian you know, play where, you know, as Rick Rule loves to, likes to say, you know, love what is unloved. And commodities seem to be absolutely unloved. But is it logical to unlove this space? I don't think so. Well, it, obviously, with real estate too, right? Steel is a big component of infrastructure, right? Um, and what we wanted to do today is talk about an element that doesn't get a lot of appreciation uh, in the marketplace, or doesn't really get talked about too much. Um, but it makes up a significant portion of all the pieces and, and commodities that we're looking at globally. Um, and that thing is called vanadium. Um, I guarantee you a lot of people have never heard of it. We only heard about it recently through a few of our colleagues. Um, but what we wanted to do here today is bring somebody who's been, uh, he's got a lot of experience uh, as a geologist um, and he's based in BC and um, he's got a very extensive history as well, being part of the founding family members of the island of Vancouver. Um, and right now they are doing everything they can to ensure uh, the domestic supply of vanadium and other other assets like vanadium electrolyte. But uh, we wanted to bring the CEO uh, and director of Vanadium Corp. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset uh, Capital Market Series, Paul McGugan. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much, uh, gentlemen. Uh, good to be here. Of course. So, Paul, as usual, we like to always get to just kind of get to know our guests a little bit. And it kind of gives a little bit of context as to, you know, the people who are running the business. So do you mind just giving us a little breakdown of your past and, you know, just how you fell in love with resources and mining and then how you got to this point, you know, tied up with Vanadium? Well, I've been in the business since uh, uh, graduating in the uh, mid-1970s. Uh, worked for uh, some of the majors, including patient Eugene Kuhlman, uh, worked for IBM uh, data centers in Canada, and uh, most lately with uh, Exxon in their minerals division. But since the mid-1980s, I've had my own consulting practice and stood on the boards of a, a number of junior resource companies. Uh, so I'm very pleased now for the last two years to be with uh, Vanadium Corp. And uh, we restructured the company just on two years ago. And uh, since that time, we have uh, uh, cleaned up the capital structure of the company and prepared the company for significant action. So I bring my own background in uh, uh, mineral exploration, metallurgy, mine development, 
and I'm joined by a very good uh, team of engineers and electrochemists. So one of the things that we're realizing now, especially with supply globally, is um, a lot of countries on the other side of the world seem to have a much stronger grasp uh, of what's happening and controlling of resources now is going to be extremely crucial to securing any kind of supply. And then obviously, you know, being able to build out all kinds of infrastructure and then the securitization of the electrical grid. So from your experience in the last couple of decades, Paul, what have you seen that sort of, you know, been eye opening to you, but also been like, oh my gosh, like this is actually going to get pretty significant if we don't do anything about it, um, if we don't take action and start ensuring some kind of domestic supply uh, on this side of the world? Yeah, well, I, I think any uh, thinking person realizes that a um, an electrical grid comprised of generating assets um, and connected by uh, high tension uh, power lines is very reactive. So something that happens in uh, northern Canada um, affects what happens in New York State, uh, and very quickly. So this is a, not too difficult a situation when you have uh, stable uh, sources of power and stable uses of power. And the, the grid companies uh, can keep, the utilities can keep that in balance. Now, with the advent of electrification, we have quite variable demand as people plug in those electrical cars and people heat their homes increasingly with electricity. And then on the supply side, we have a situation where greater amounts of variable power is being contributed to the grid in the form of a solar and wind uh, and run of river. All of these uh, power sources, uh, which used to be a very small fraction of the uh, supply of power are now increasingly important. So for instance, renewable power in the United States is now bigger than coal generation. So as a result, the grids have faced increasing challenges to keep their uh, frequency, their um, voltage, and their supply demand in balance. And the only way to do that is with long-term energy storage. And so I'm very pleased to have uh, participated in this uh, since approximately 2012, where I recognized that uh, vanadium would be an important contributor to that stabilization in the form of vanadium redox flow batteries, or as they are now termed, vanadium flow batteries. Um, and was very pleased to be invited in 2019 uh, to assist uh, Vanadium Corp. So, so do you mind? Go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say, like, um, those the the vanadium flow batteries are something that I don't think our listeners understand or know what that is, right? I would even say start with vanadium. What yeah. is vanadium? Yeah, yeah. So, um, did you want me to show uh, the, the uh, a presentation, or should we just uh, talk about it, gentlemen? We can just talk about it. Go yeah, right just ahead. Talk Paul. about it. Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, well, vanadium is a, um, a transition metal, and it is um, basically sits on the periodic table very close to that of um, iron, 
And vanadium, titanium, and iron are found in the ground um, in the same locations very commonly. Um, the importance of vanadium is that it actually has uh, four states of charge, uh, meaning that you can add and subtract electrons uh, to the orbit of a vanadium uh, ion, and that vanadium ion can have uh, charges of two, three, four, and five. As a result, you can put vanadium on both sides of a battery. Uh, vanadium can be on the catalyte side and the analyte side at the same time and exchange ions or, I'm sorry, electrons uh, with uh, each other without having to have disparate metals on either side of a membrane, meaning the vanadium battery is a lot more stable. So uh, vanadium itself uh, is in demand across the world, not just for uh, these flow batteries, but for uh, strengthening steels and being an alloy in aerospace materials. As a result, uh, traditionally about 90% of the use of vanadium was in uh, these traditional uh, metallurgical applications. But now the use in flow batteries has exploded in the last two years, uh, rising above 10% and locally in some uh, applications, some areas like China, it is now 40% of the uptake of the vanadium supply. So this is where basically in terms of vanadium flow batteries, it's not pure vanadium that gets to be put in basically. It's more of a byproduct of, of the use of vanadium, which is where the electrolyte comes into play. Yes. So what we do uh, if, if we're building one of these batteries is uh, we're in a situation where we take a, uh, a vanadium compound uh, like vanadium pentoxide and we dissolve it in sulfuric acid and that acid and, and uh, vanadium combination is what is put on either side of a, a battery in liquid form. Perfect. So that's it. So, and that's, and it's the power and that's what people don't realize is a lot of this build out electrical grids, you, you battery storage is a key component, which doesn't seem to have really been solved yet. Well, what happens is of, of course, um, when you're talking electrical grids, we're talking massive needs for batteries. So uh, traditionally, for instance, um, a batteries would be used to uh, back up computer networks back up um, homes and maybe back up um, uh, you know small parts of the electrical demand now with these variable energy sources and the need for electrification batteries have gone from being uh, a small portion of the electrical uh, usage to locally for instance in china in the last um, year china has announced 3.5 gigawatt hours of battery storage to be installed in the near future in just about five major projects. To put it in perspective, 3.5 gigawatt hours would power the city of San Francisco, the entire city, all its uses for two days. So we're looking in the case of a uh, vanadium flow battery, the ability to store not kilowatts of power, 
but megawatts and gigawatts of power. And as a result, um, the, these systems take a while to build out. So the vanadium flow battery, although it's been around since um, the 1980s, 75% of the vanadium flow batteries have been installed in the last two years, aggregating to about 800 megawatt hours of total storage. Announcements last year only in China only were this 3.5 gigawatt hours of, of storage. Large projects are being announced in the US and the United Kingdom as well. And we see the demand for vanadium electrolyte, which is the specialty of vanadium corp. It will expand from a base of today to six times as much by the year 2030 only. And that very massive uptake in the, these grid applications will power the dynamics of the vanadium market for decades to come. So before we go into the overall business model of what you're building and what your, your team are putting together, I think it's very important to realize too that vanadium globally is about 75% undersupplied, right? Um, and the ones that are controlling most of that supply, particularly in, 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 on, the, on, on the other side of the world, is China and Russia. Um, and I think vanadium too is most likely going to be considered a critical net zero element uh, for this you know, clean energy transition. So with that in mind, how difficult is it or how, ch how challenging has it been to maybe find local sources of vanadium, at least on this side of the world, while also maintaining those relationships globally to kind of fill the gap over the next couple of years here? Yeah, so vanadium uh, is, is primarily obtained by uh, co-production in steelmaking. So the reason China and, and Russia are uh, dominant in the market at present is that they have um, feed to their steel complexes um, that is titaniferous and vanadiferous. And even though their grades are relatively low, <clears throat> the byproduct um, is a significant part of the market for both titanium and vanadium, which occur, as I was saying, in the same geological settings um, as, uh, as iron. Uh, but as we go forward um, and the demand for vanadium increases, people are turning to secondary sources of vanadium, which would be refinery bottoms, uh, waste uh, items like uh, fly ash, uh, and uh, non-traditional vanadium sources. Um, two areas of, of interest are in South Africa and Brazil and that are currently producing vanadium uh, using traditional salt roast techniques. And they contribute about 10% of the world's market uh, put together. Another up and coming force in the business soon to have some impact is production of vanadium in Australia. However, the Western world facing this increasing demand must ramp up all its sources of vanadium, including the very large uh, vanadium resources we have here in Canada. Now in Canada, I think it's really interesting because this is where your geology and your, and your mining background come into place, uh, come into play. Um, there is a mining asset that has 
and inferred. And I, I, I could, I don't, I don't, I don't want to misspeak here, but there is a massive uh, mining asset that has vanadium underneath it, right? So, with everything that's happened over the last couple of years, particularly in Quebec, um, Quebec's been a very friendly mining jurisdictions for a lot of the majors, particularly precious metals, um, some copper plays, some phosphate, lithium. But vanadium, I mean, that's not the first element or, or, or commodity that comes to mind uh, when thinking of Quebec mining, right? So maybe just touch briefly on what that what the asset is that you guys currently have and sort of the long-term vision for that, for that play. Yeah, you know, Vanadium Corp um, spent a good portion of the time from 2013 until 2019 drilling its Lacdore uh, vanadiferous uh, magnetite uh, deposit. And Lacdore is situated about 24 kilometers east of Shibugumu in the north of Quebec. And that deposit is magmatic layers that are rich in magnetite that contain um, strong amounts of vanadium. When you concentrate that magnetite and, and ship it to, for processing, that magnetite uh, in the lactory contains about 1.3 to 1.4% V2O5 per ton of concentrate. And upon treatment of, of that concentrate, we would expect the resource uh, to contain approximately 1.5 billion pounds of V2O5. Now, to put that in perspective, um, we, we would look at uh, approximately 10,000 metric tons of V2O5 is required to make one charge of uh, one gigawatt hour of electrolyte. So if we wanted to build, let's say, two 500 megawatt hour storage facilities each year, it would take the full production of the Lactory mine for one year to make those two batteries. This is very large. And so what the company is doing presently is to evaluate the Lactory and bring it along from a mineral resource to a reserve and elevate it to the point where we can put it into production uh, and that work is ongoing in terms of metallurgy and additional tests in the field. And we expect then to enter into a feasibility study probably this time next year uh, in order to bring that asset forward with the idea that by some time towards 2029, uh, the company would enjoy its own vanadium production. So can you, because I, I know there's a comparable um, mine or resource mine not far away from you guys that can give a little bit of comparable in terms of their uh, uh, NPV and so on. Like, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, we're restricted, uh, of course, because we're a public company from making direct comparisons. Mm -hmm. The two deposits are very similar geologically in thickness and grade uh, and overall tonnage. Um, their deposit has, has received uh, full tests. Uh, elevating their resource uh, to a reserve and therefore uh, is subject to economic calculations that say this very similar deposit um, is as a net present value at an 8% discount rate of 1.9 billion. And that company previously was called BlackRock and has now merged with a good company called uh, Strategic Resources. 
they intend to concentrate on the iron production uh, from that location, uh, which is which abuts our property, um, and produce in a similar fashion to the Russians and the Chinese uh, co-product vanadium and titanium. Uh, in contrast, our similar deposit, it's not likely that we will use uh, the same methodology as them. So therefore, we can't compare dollar for dollar what our, our deposit is worth. Uh, but we intend to optimize for vanadium production in order to feed our downstream activities. So that and that's the that's the thing. So Vanadium Corp has two primary pillars from what we understand is one is obviously the mine, but that's obviously not the short term objective, nor I would say necessarily the midterm. That seems to be a little more down the line because obviously building out a mine takes time, which makes sense. So there's the industrial component, which seems to be your short term objective. And there's a couple of phases to that. You mind breaking that down a bit for us? Yeah, uh, let's let's, um, you know, basically concentrate on this explosion in the vanadium market. So we've seen this uh, very tremendous uptake uh, in the last two years. Uh, we made a decision uh, ju just a little over a year ago that Vanadium Corp is best to um, emphasize its proprietary knowledge in electrochemistry. And instead of going into mine production, and then after having that mine production, transform the vanadium obtained into electrolytes, we've decided to go directly into manufacturing electrolytes with the objective of twofold. One, that we're in the market now as it grows very rapidly, and we would have a market presence. Uh, it also preserves a, a core um, intellectual property that we have in the company in the form of people and engineering know-how. So we put that to work uh, over the last year. And I'm pleased to uh, say that uh, as of today, uh, we are under construction uh, at Valdesource for our plant number one for vanadium electrolyte. That electrolyte will be used in these vanadium flow batteries, and we would expect that we would produce enough to provision a modest uh, set of batteries totaling about six megawatt hours of storage, which are large batteries in their own right. They're not the uh, absolutely world-beating uh, size that the Chinese and, the, and others are building. But at the same time as, as building our plant number one, we've perfected our knowledge of the um, construction of these plants and our knowledge of the electrolyte business. And so therefore we've completed the engineering scoping for a 10 times larger plant. And that decision point on that 10 times larger plant will probably be by June of, of this year. Well, well, we'll make a decision whether to proceed with a 4 million liters per year of production. Our first plant will make about 350,000 liters a year. Now that's pretty significant too, at least because on this side of the world, you're, the, the buyer's market of this vanadium electrolyte is pretty substantial, right? And these are these are global players. So are you planning on starting to just sell to those uh, global 
buyers of, of the storage immediately? And are there other opportunities maybe domestically or at least on this side of the world that, 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 that you see upcoming? Well, uh, the opportunity is this. Um, we've, we've declared to the, um, the community in Quebec, the governments at, at several levels, that we're committed to value-added manufacturing in Quebec. And what flows from that is we seek to attract in Canada um, the construction of these flow batteries and we'll be there to provide the necessary electrolytes. Now, depending on the configuration of a vanadium flow battery, the electrolyte is approximately 50 to 75% of the capital cost of that battery. And so by concentrating on producing electrolyte, Vanadium Corp has declared um, to Quebec that we're going to be a local value-added producer. And we're, we're declaring to the manufacturers that we will not be competing with them in producing the full battery systems. Rather, we will invite partnerships for battery manufacturers uh, to co-locate with us or uh, joint venture with us in making full battery systems to be deployed in Canada and selected markets in the United States. So just so I just I, I'll let you speak, Dick. But just so the listeners understand, this is not Gatorade electrolyte. This is like power energy type of liquid that goes into batteries. But Nick, go ahead. But no, I was just say was because traditionally I would assume that in the West, let's say people that are building out or people that do build out batteries, their supply of electrolyte will most likely have to come from international market because they don't we don't really have any domestic supply or very little to say. Yeah. So uh, a good example would be our good friends at the U.S. Vanadium. They produce um, uh, V205 um, for their own projects on a modest scale. Um, but they have committed with a, an Austrian company called Cellcube uh, to build out a uh, facility that would make 3 million liters of electrolyte uh, per year. And this is up from their production of less than uh, a million. Uh, they would be one example of an entrant into this North American market. However, as we've stated before, um, we all have to be uh, participating in that market. Mm -hmm. So we would be joining US Vanadium in producing increasing amounts of electrolyte uh, in each in our geographic areas. So it's good because basically you become a like a magnetic point for a lot of vanadium companies, let's say in the West, who want that let's say they want to build out and your facility is capable of handling more supply. So a lot of local or domestic suppliers of vanadium could potentially use you guys as a way to feed their vanadium and turn it into electrolyte. Yeah, we all have to be more efficient. We all have to compete um, in lowering the capital cost and the operating cost of these long-term um, you know, discharge batteries. They're called uh, long duration energy storage. So LDAS, Yes, batteries um, are going to be an increasing component of electrification in North America, and the race is on to get that done for the cheapest price possible. Um, and that means having efficient producers of electrolyte. We have optimized our own engineering designs to be cost competitive in uh, electrolyte production, plus the fact 
that will be the first in Canada producing this electrolyte. And uh, we, we will also be aiming to open electrolyte manufacturing facilities in select locations in the United States and Europe in the coming years. The importance, though, of partnerships as well as relationships with, I guess, the government entities is probably so crucial in this. It's probably more significant than I think a lot of even other mining companies or uh, resource uh, companies out there. So um, I noticed when you guys, there, there was a member on the board that you brought on that uh, has extensive amount of relationships. So maybe just touch on that real quickly. I think it was related to, to Christian Parity. Um, just to talk about the significance of who that is, because yeah. that is going to help kind of speed up maybe some of the processes that you guys would not be able to otherwise get access to, right? Right. I, I think it's always good to have a trusted voice um, in community and government circles. And Christian certainly is that person. Um, in he He's a past federal minister of mines and energy and separately a federal Minister of Industry. He's got very strong Canadian, U.S. and international connections. And we're very pleased to have him on board and available to advocate for this long-term uh, energy storage uh, capacity that we are in the supply chain for. Um, in addition, however, we, to um, Christian, we also have some, some very capable uh, technical people. Um, uh, Gilles Dupuis is um, a prominent international manager of engineering projects, um, and he will be instrumental in the build-out of any physical facilities we have. And the electrochemistry is well understood by Dr. Gilles Champagne that is on our team as well. Now, these gentlemen, Christian and the two Gilles, um, in their own right, have very deep connections with research, uh, with industry, and with government, each in their own right. Yeah, that's it's 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 very important right now, just given the supply gap that we're that we're experiencing right now. Look, I, I had no idea what vanadium was until about a year and a half ago, um, right. and then I got introduced to this story. And the thing that caught my attention was two things: it was just we we don't have enough of it domestically. But I think the business model that you guys have is very interesting because it's like you've got an industrial component, you've got a mining component, and that mining asset can be used later on, to your point, of ensuring domestic supply later on. So there's there's a lot of moving parts here at play here, Paul, that's really exciting. Um, one of the last things I guess we wanted to ask you was, you know, going into this, going into this year, going into the next five years, um, why should people pay attention to your story? Why is now the right time to take a look at, you know, Vanadium Corp? Well, uh, I, up until now, last 10 years, um, the Vanadium story has been largely one that was aspirational. People could see the potential. They could see the future use of it. But there wasn't a, um, a compelling argument uh, for Vanadium and its use in uh, energy storage. Uh, simply because the large installations, the large uptake had not begun. The last two years has seen a dramatic uptake, and we expect over the next, um, another two years from now, that the story will have morphed into one that's, rather than being aspirational or a curiosity, 
this is going to be the backbone of electrification in the Western world. It's going to be something that people have more understanding of, and therefore there'll be more eyes on the select and small number of vanadium producers and the small number of electrolyte producers in the Western world. And that alone, combined with our outreach in the community, should propel um, our story uh, further into the public eye. Yeah. It's relevant. It, it's, um, yeah. I was just going to say, I guess it's fair to say maybe perhaps a couple of years ago, there wasn't as much of a scarcity or a uh, supply gap, but I think many people are starting to realize the significance of it, you know, a couple, a couple, maybe a decade later, right? Is that a fair assessment to, to, Ab- to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, so a good example, and, and I think it's seen in any number of, you know, semi-humorous situations. So we have towns in Norway that have electrified ferries and the, the poor townsfolk see their lights dim when the ferry docks uh, to be, to recharge. Uh, that all tells people that, that suddenly we've gone from relatively stable electrical supply uh, to supply that will flicker and brown out um, due to any number of factors, including everybody coming home and plugging in their EVs at the same time in San Francisco. Uh, so more and more people are going to see that energy storage is as much a, an industrial activity as energy, energy production. Yeah, and it makes sense because especially with the transition that's going to happen, we're going from one type of electrical grid where we're going out from coal and going away from oil and so on, and now we're trying to transfer into electrification. But I think that in that process, there will be mistakes and there will be points and places where there is where electrical grids are going to feel a lot more strained than other ecosystems and other grids. And obviously having a way to store energy to mitigate any mistakes or mitigate any problematic scenarios is just some way to just make uh just makes you feel more secure in your environment, knowing that you have an alternative or an option that no matter what happens to the grid, I have something to supply the grid in the meantime until we solve that problem or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. So um, um, long duration energy storage uh, solves a number of, of, of issues with electrification. Uh, so if we look on the producer side, that, that company that has wind, solar, or both, it has a variable production of power. The grid does not necessarily accept that power at a proper commercial rate at certain times of the day. So they can time shift their supply of power by adding a large battery component to their project Mm. to take that power from midday um, when the sun is shining and bring it to the shoulders of the day where people are running their air conditioning more. Or in the case of wind, which tends to blow at night and and essentially have fewer users at night, store that power and supply it during the day when it is needed. Now, there's a lot of jurisdictions that are throttling the, um, the use of solar and wind because the grids can't handle it. And some jurisdictions like Hungary are saying no more solar unless you have a battery component. Mm. So on the producer side, there's going to be a drive. Now on the consumer side, 
uh, very large users of electricity, an industrial plant of any sort, um, are sometimes subject to um, restrictions uh, during certain peak usage times on the grid. And, California. And, uh, California yeah, is a perfect example, right? Yeah. Yeah, California and um, and and the other one that's closer to home is is Ontario. Ontario sets the price for some of these large users of electricity based on their usage during five four-hour windows of time during the year. If they want power during those five four-hour periods of time, the price during those five four hours of, uh, of time sets their price for the year. That can be the difference for even a modest user of electricity, someone who's, let's say, using um, uh, something like 50 megawatts of, of, of power. Um, that can be a difference of tens of millions of dollars over a year uh, if they end up having to pay the peak price as opposed to their, their base price. Uh, and as a result, the incentive for these people uh, to either shut their factories down during those periods of time, or by a battery, is very very high, um, and and so as a result, the users of power are now gravitating towards long duration energy storage. That's assuming there is no carbon tax on that, by the way, right? Your calculation. Oh, why? Um, no, the carbon tax would would accrue um, uh, as a you know essentially a carbon credit for using the battery. And, and and so you're buying that power anyway, whether it's clean power or not, um, you're buying that that energy. So you'd, you'd bet, better have a tax on on three cents a kilowatt hour versus 18 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, so the bottom line is in any carbon pricing scenario, um, a vanadium flow battery is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is really interesting. Um, I know for myself, the next time the power goes out, I mean, your story is probably going to be top of mind uh, just because I think there's such an underappreciation for the fact that we have this resource that gets used, we consume it, um, but we don't really realize or appreciate it until it's absolutely taken away from us. And usually when power outages, power outages start happening, you're like, oh my gosh, my whole life just like shifted. It's, it's become such an important component of the everyday life for, for, for everything. Right. So it just shows um, the learning curve needed in, in general, in this mining space and the commodity space and the electrification space. Um, and just to show that there's a lot of learning to do and, but it's fascinating because you can see how real world um processes can solve so many fundamental problems in the shift that we're doing and clearly you guys seem to be seeking to be part of that solution yes and you know it, the realization is upon us now yeah. so the state of vermont has announced that they're going to be subsidizing local long duration energy storage mm -hmm. for for businesses and homeowners uh, so that when these ice storms hit vermont um, they don't have the same pressure uh, to get the grid back up and running. And so they're actually giving very large subsidies for um, behind the meter installation of, uh, uh, of long duration storage. Yeah, it's a very important transition that's happening that to your point, Paul, I think most people are slowly starting to realize the significance of this. But uh, 
Listen, we want to appreciate you taking the time yeah. to talk about your 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 company and talk about yourself a little bit and your your background. Where where can the uh, listeners find you and the story? Well, they can find us at um, at, at vanadiumcorp.com, our website, and we will be posting the most recent presentations, news releases on that website. Cool. So that's vanadium, as of course everybody by now must know how to spell. <laughs> and corp one word c-o-r-p it's a website name it's vrb on the venture yeah vrb.v correct well paul uh again thanks so much for coming on um everybody that's listening i mean if you don't if you didn't know what vanadium was or vanadium electrolyte is i think you now have a general understanding go feed that curiosity um and um paul again th thanks for coming on this is very insightful and it's one of those stories that i think nick and i are going to look back on in the next five years and say wow big opportunity let's see if we could build something and help you guys find more people to get excited about the story as well yeah, very good. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with me, guys. Nick, of course, Dan, always a pleasure. Always, Paul. All right. And we'll see you guys next time on the Capital Market Series. Ciao, guys. Take care. Thank you.